What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. This is edition number 222, 222. And today we're talking about Bo is Afraid, the new movie from Ari Aster, which actually technically doesn't come out until this Friday, or I guess the day you're listening to this. Uh, but I saw it last week, so we'll talk about that. And another new movie that I saw, an indie movie that I really, really, really enjoyed, and it has a very provocative title, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Uh, we're talking about those two today, as well as some very uh, timely streaming suggestions, so you want to stick around to hear what those are. As always, I want to mention up top, you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Craig or through my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com. And over there, you will find this week's trailer watch, which is the first trailer for Fast X, Fast 10. <laughs> the less said about that, the better. Let's talk about Bo's Afraid. Ari Aster was the horror prince who was promised, creating in Hereditary and Midsommar movies that scared the crap out of everyone and still remain iconic in the cultural consciousness years later. Now, only in his mid-30s, he's a name-brand director and one of the faces of the A24 movement. People whisper and wait for the next Ari Aster movie. He's used that leverage to make what I can only describe as one of the most ambitious movies of all time. Bo is Afraid is the kind of movie that wants to explain everything about everything, comparable only to something like Terrence Malick's Tree of Life or Charlie Kaufman's Synecdoche, New York. As anyone who has seen either of those movies will tell you, this is definitely not going to be everyone's cup of tea. At the center of every frame is Bo, played by the equally talented and idiosyncratic Joaquin Phoenix. The story centers around Bo's anxieties, for which he is in therapy and on medication, though both seem woefully insufficient. It's unclear exactly how much of what we're seeing is taking place in Bo's head, because the setting of the movie is a mix of hallucination and some kind of hellish near future in which lawlessness has entirely overtaken an unnamed New York New York-ish city. Watching it for the first time is either going to be a mind-expanding or mind-numbing experience for a viewer. I can't entirely account for much of the three-hour runtime, how much of the three-hour runtime I spent with my mouth entirely agape, jaw on the floor. But no five-minute stretch passes without some shocking assault on the senses. A mix of surreality and absurdism mean that at any given moment, literally anything could happen. The list of possibilities isn't constrained by the rules of logic. The effect of this is like a fever dream, in which Bo searches simply for any sort of equilibrium, proven impossible by obstacles both internal and external. Given Astor's background, you can be assured that he expresses himself in the language of horror, trauma, and tragedy. While Bo is Afraid is certainly not a horror movie, nobody would confuse it for a heart warmer. That said, it is surprisingly very funny, as long as you're willing to laugh at the absurdity of some truly awful things happening. You might think, based on everything I've just told you, that this is a movie solely about mental health. <clears throat> it's not. By my interpretation, and let me be clear, this is a movie that could have a million different interpretations. Themes include everything from motherhood to urban decay, the pandemic, public misbehavior, therapy, cancel culture, the death of innocence, and go all the way to exploring the very meaning of life. 
Regardless of what your personal tolerance is for narrative incongruity or artistic ambiguousness, one cannot walk away from this movie anything but overwhelmed by Astor's creativity and filmmaking prowess. The imagery is powerful, and some shots could become as iconic as the most enduring scenes from his previous two films, giving a viewer the confidence to buy into whatever bizarre journey he is putting them on. For me, you all know I'm normally someone who values telling a good and coherent story above all, yet my skepticism was more or less beaten into submission throughout the course of this movie, and I and the other people in my theater sat transfixed in something of a daze for several moments after the credits began to roll. We simply didn't know what to do. In a movie landscape of reboots, sequels, and a mountain of boring and predictable, it's impossible not to give Bo's Afraid major points for being so consistently surprising and conjuring up actual emotions within me. One of the most one of those emotions is confusion, admittedly, and I don't know and I do know that that alone will cause many people who see this movie to hate it, but I can only tell them and I can only call them like I see them. This is my new number one movie of the year. All right, every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week's something new is How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which is also playing only in theaters as of now. It's still very early in the movie calendar, but looking forward, I'm not seeing anything on the immediate horizon that will threaten what I see as clearly the three best movies of 2023 so far. Bo is Afraid, 1001, and How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Usually, when I talk about a movie feeling of the moment, I'm talking about the dead-eyed gallows humor of Gen Z, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies being the best example. But this might be the first movie to capture the brand of extremist activism that has come to define our recent past. The protagonists of this movie are quite literally domestic terrorists attempting to blow up an oil pipeline in Texas in the name of climate change. An extremely ungenerous reading of this movie would be to say that the only difference between this group of young people and the January 6th insurrectionists is their belief in what future each is trying to, quote, save the country from. A title as provocative as this one begs such questions, but the movie itself is far more of a heist thriller than a political statement. The story is powered by an incredible amount of nervous energy as our first-time criminals carry out various stages of their plan, which at, t- at all times is made to feel as dangerous and illicit as it is. The shoestring budget nature of the indie production, including unknown actors and bargain bin sets, actually bolster a DIY feeling that serves the story. And the intermittent flashbacks to each of the group's members' backstories, while not my favorite, favorite narrative device, do well to ratchet up the emotional stakes at strategic moments. At one hour and 45 minutes, the type of thing you appreciate after Bo is Afraid, this is the type of fast-paced, gripping-your-seat thriller that I think could appeal to viewers on any side of the political spectrum. Either way, I'll be keeping an eye on filmmaker Dave, uh, Daniel Goldhaber going forward. This week's something old, it's Phantom of the Opera. It first came out in 1988, uh, but we'll be talking about the 2011 version, which is now available on Amazon Prime. Broadway's longest-running show is finally closing after 35 years, $1.3 billion grossed, and some 20 million viewers. People who know me know I'm a musical theater guy, but 
I've never been a big fan of Andrew Lloyd Webber, so I've called upon this newsletter's official Broadway correspondent, Will Kennedy, to recommend both the stage show and the 25th anniversary film performance. Here's what he had to say. It's one of the more complex love stories in musical theater canon, in the musical theater canon, but more so than that, it just has some of the most objectively beautiful music. It's wide-ranging and can make you feel joy, sadness, excitement, and nervous all within a few moments of each other. The 25th anniversary is the best possible version you can ever watch of Phantom outside of seeing it in real life. The cast, primarily The Phantom, played by Ramin Karimlu, <laughs> I'm sorry for butching that, and Christine, the love interest, played by Sierra Boges, Boges, are wildly regarded as the best to play the roles in the last 20 plus years and arguably of all time. Thanks, Will, for that contribution. And for those of you who have never seen Phantom of the Opera, 2011 version on Amazon Prime seems like the way to go. This week's Something to Stream is on Max. Uh, it's going to take a while for me to get used to saying that. Not HBO Max, just Max. It's The Soloist. No one really knows exactly what the medical complication was that left Jamie Foxx in the hospital for the past week, but some celebrity tributes were so effusive, it made me think that his condition might be life-threatening. That would have been a real tragedy, because I've always said Jamie Foxx might be the most naturally talented guy on the entire planet. His movie catalog is long and rocky in parts, but in there you'll find plenty of gems like Any Given Sunday, Collateral, Due Date, Django Unchained, of course, Baby Driver, his uh, Oscar-winning turn in, in Ray, and more. Still, my favorite Fox performance continues to be as a real-life homeless music prodigy in The Soloist. In the capable hands of director Joe Wright, who made Pride and Prejudice, Atonement, Darkest Hour, among others, Fox's street musician is discovered by a famous LA Times columnist played by Robert Downey Jr., this is your periodic reminder that RDJ is one of the best actors on the planet when he steps out of the supersuit. Their relationship is messy and complicated, but also beautiful and touching on issues like mental health, homelessness, and as cheesy as this sounds, the power of music. It's a really, really moving true story that you can see on Max. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's show. I really, really appreciate you listening and spreading the word. Again, you can head over to the newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com to check out this week's Trailer Watch or any of the past editions of not only Friday Newsletter, but also the Tuesday Newsletter, which has the best things on the internet. As for next week's show, uh, the big movie release of the week is Bo's Afraid. So if you have a chance to see that and my review didn't scare you off, that's the one to see. As for me, uh, I'm hopefully going to be able to see Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, uh, and then maybe Chevalier. I, I, I want to kind of see what the reviews are looking like for that one. But those are the two that I have on my radar. And next Friday, we'll be talking about them. So until then, guys, I guess I'll see you at the movies. <laughs>